Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. You may have noticed by now that whenever uh, we release a new game-related project, we often record a podcast about it, as we did just recently with the release of the Moderator Mayhem game. Uh, Well, all last year, we were working on another game-related project that is just now seeing the light of day, uh, and it's a bit different than some of the others that we've worked on. For much of 2022, we were working with a group at the UN called UN Global Pulse that is focused on strategic foresight projects, trying to explore the pioneering use of different foresight tools to see how they can be useful to the UN and in various projects that the UN is working on. As part of that, we helped to design a game-like framework called FutureCast, designed to help anyone conduct a fun and hopefully enlightening foresight exercise to explore near-term risks and opportunities in all sorts of different scenarios. Uh, The team at the UN has just recently published a website with the details of the FutureCast framework uh, under a nice Creative Commons license and with a guide on how to use it. So for this podcast, we wanted to talk about uh, the UN Global Pulse's foresight efforts, uh, as well as the FutureCast tool that we helped develop with our partners from the UN. Uh, so on the podcast today, we have Tina Navonen and Minke Minders uh, from UN Global Pulse, and also my regular partner on all of the game development projects that we do, Randy Lupin from Leverage Play. So it is great to have all of you on the podcast. It's great to see everyone again. Uh, Tina, I wanted to lead off with you to talk a little bit about what the UN is trying to do with its various foresight initiatives. So take it away. Great. Thank you so much, Mike. And thanks for the kind intro. And thank you so much for having us. We are thrilled to be here today talking to you and and share a bit about what we've been working on uh, with you guys. So lovely to be here today. Um, Yeah, this is quite a broad question. When we talk (laughs) about UN, I I guess um, I used to think it's one thing, but we have to remember that UN is actually 193 member countries, member states. Um, I think we have about 40 different agencies, funds and programs, and uh, then the secretariat and and different main bodies. We have the ECOSOC and so on. So it's a lot of things and uh, a lot of different mandates. And I have to say that there isn't like one use case, um, but lots of different purposes and use cases. And we've been also uh, quite busy, as you mentioned, during the past two years, experimenting with different parts of the system as well to understand how foresight could bring value and what the different um, approaches could look like and how do we bring them in the everyday context of, of people who work in the system um, and help help the governments and people we ultimately serve. So uh, it's not easy <laughs> to answer that. But I think what, what is good to note that foresight really is not a new thing in the UN system. So um, 
I guess it really goes back to the UN Charter, the founding uh, document of the United Nations. So already in 1945, the UN Charter mentions the rights of the uh, coming generations. And of course, the ultimate goal was to make sure that the war never happens again. And it's, it's sad that we are still uh, trying our very best to, to make a world a better place for everyone. And and seems like there's more and more to do all the time. But um, that's exactly why we need to be more innovative and use new tools and methods and approaches, including strategic foresight, to really um, move away from that, um, you know, uh, planning based on the past data uh, and, and rather take this transformative view of things that not just kind of accept things how they are, but imagine radically different futures. And, and um, this is what it really takes. If you want to make a radical change happen, you have to first imagine it. So, so we are on this, on this journey. Um, and uh, another thing is maybe that it's not new, but there's a massive demand for foresight right now and massive hype around it. So uh, I think it's a great thing for us, but also um, sometimes we have to manage those expectations what foresight can and cannot do because it really is not a silver bullet <laughs> as you as you know yeah. but we also try to use it in combination with other uh, tools and methods uh, so we uh, we also work in an interdisciplinary setup at the UN Global Pulse that by the way is uh, Secretary General's Innovation Lab and Hub for, for Experimentation so that's why we are doing all this experimentation with different different partners like like yourself and and trying to learn as much as we can what works and what doesn't and how do we contextualize different approaches for the for the different needs and 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 how just in general uh i guess just as background for for some of the listeners who maybe are not as familiar you know how you know how how does the UN define foresight in terms of like what is it that you're looking to do with with these tools? What what is it that that interests the UN in sort of foresight projects and tools? Oh wow, this is again like <laughs> I'm giving you the one easy of our favorite Topics like <laughs> yes, like how do you how do you define it? Um, I, I guess one one way like if we think about for instance the work that UNESCO has been leading and mandated to, to lead the educational, scientific, and cultural organization of the UN. Um, they do a lot of work in futures literacy, which is the futures capabilities and, and really thinking about um, using futures as a skill and, and competence. But then there are other um, entities like ourselves, like we are using more um, strategic foresight. So we are using as a tool for, for uh, planning and really trying to generate foresight insights that can drive action and inspire action today. So um, there are very different approaches. There's kind of risk context, contingency uh, planning context, also innovation context. And if you look at the Our Common Agenda, um, which is the Secretary General's report and, and roadmap uh, for the um, multilateral cooperation looking 25 years ahead in the future, um, there we have also a lot of real estate for foresight. And I think one of the main purposes uh, in the common agenda for use of foresight is really move away from business as usual and transform the UN system itself. And this is actually the business we are in right now as a global pulse and as a team. So we are really trying to understand how these new methods and approaches can be applied to um, surface a new um, United Nations system that is uh, 
more, um, let's say, aligned with what the world needs right now and, and able to deal with the complex interconnected challenges um, and uncertainties and, and these surprises. <laughs> so I think COVID was also kind of the turning point for everybody. So now it's pretty clear that we can't just expect future to be more of the same. Um, and uh, this preparedness is a big thing, but we always try to find a balance between risks and opportunities. So I guess if we only search for risks, this is what we're going to get. And to get into that transformative frame, it's also good to look like radically different optimistic futures as well. So, um, and this also creates hope and it's important. We need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk specifically about the, the FutureCast project in, in a minute, but do um, either you or, or Minke, if, if you want to jump in here also, do, do either of you want to talk about some of the other foresight related projects that, that uh, Global Pulse has been working on? Uh, yeah, but there have been many. So uh, what Tina was already explaining, we did a two-year kind of foresight pilot to really understand how we can actually land strategic foresight in the system. So we worked with a lot of different partners and with a lot of different methodologies. And I think it's, we see foresight really as a collaborative process where we try to prepare and kind of uh, plan uh, and explore the futures that are ahead of us. Um, so we are kind of method agnostic in a way. So we, we're not stuck to one kind of method or one kind of uh, process, but we really try to, with the partner at, at, uh, at hand, we try to kind of understand what, what is the need here? What is your future question that you need to tackle? and then uh, develop a process together with them. Uh, but we worked together with a lot of different partners. We set up a training and trained like 300 colleagues across the system. We developed various games, uh, various toolkits, uh, but we also see that just, just developing games or just developing toolkits is not, and putting it out there, that's not, um, it doesn't end there. You have to help people to contextualize the, 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 the exercises that you want to do to really make them meaningful. And that's what we did in a lot of different experiments. We, we literally went from Uganda to Jakarta to Cambodia to Colombia. Um, and yeah, we, that's where we also did. Uh, we worked with like country teams, but also with communities. Um, pretty broad. Uh, we've been pretty busy indeed. <laughs> um, so... So I do. I do want to talk about about Futurecast and and uh, some of the the work that went into that. Um, but I did want to start. Um, and and Tina, I guess I'll probably go back to you on this one in terms of like you were the one who reached out to us initially in terms of like the possibility of of having us you know do some do some work with you and and create this framework. You know what was what was your thinking in terms of looking for something like this? You know what what made you reach out to us? in the first place, I guess. Yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, that's joking. It's been, it's been such a joy to, to work with you, and I love the energy. Um, yeah, I think the starting point really was, as Minke, Minke was saying, that um, we are trying to be participatory and, and inclusive, and we often work with people who um, have no experience in foresight. Um, so we were really looking for different um approaches that could help make foresight accessible for people who are not foresight experts and, and people who are uh, maybe not even literate, um, people who are 
excluded from decision making um, and people who are in vulnerable positions for, for different reasons. So, um, and also often in countries, as Minke was explaining, where the civil society can be extremely narrow. So people who don't have a voice and, and people who often don't have a future as well, because um, they they are just um, quite powerless and in the face of what, what's coming. So so I actually heard one of these podcasts <laughs> and, uh, and uh, then we started looking into game-based uh, approaches. I think this is a really great way to, to create a safe space and, and real, really like apply that creativity, but still with boundaries. Um, and yeah, I think the focus really is on the safe here because it's something, it's not really, future is not yet political. It didn't really happen yet. So this is kind of a safe space uh, to to talk about and imagine together different futures. So I think this was the starting point. And um, and we also uh, wanted to wanted to strengthen that community engagement as well um, and kind of connect the the communities with the decision making for and also work with the young people and, and so on. So I think these tools are very powerful uh, in including those people who usually don't have a voice and and uh, um, and kind of creating um, accessible, approachable <laughs> way for them to be part of this. So so that was really the the starting point. And um, and then uh, we also had like uh, some requests from uh, you mentioned the resident coordinator offices. So these are the UN colleagues who who coordinate the UN system. Uh, the, there's often more than ten uh, different agencies, funds, and programs. So the RCA really pulls the system together. Um, so we also got different requests, and um, there was one um, around the elections preparedness. And what you described about um, your pilot and your work around the U.S. elections context that that really resonated, and then we started thinking: Is this something that we could try to customize and, and uh, adapt to our needs, and what that would would look like, and what kind of um, different? I think one of key piece of the analysis was also like: How do we make this um, accessible and inclusive, and and what are the things to consider? Because um, always, like you can't just take something and, and move it to other contexts, but uh, you have to be quite considerate about how how do you do it. So we also did a lot of um, analysis around and with the country team, of course, because they have a contextual understanding of the different power dynamics and sensitivities. But but also Minka mentioned this process, like how do we build the inclusion in the process? How do we recognize things like? power imbalances between the participants and facilitators and and kind of cultural references and metaphors that make it um, make it uh, relatable for participants all, all kinds of things so it was an interesting process and an experiment for sure and and we always try to piggyback on something that's been already tested <laughs> <laughs> so so really working on innovations that um, have been already uh, already uh, tested to be working because we we have limited resources and rarely can start from scratch so so thanks for helping us <laughs> yeah so so I'll, I'll i'll bring randy in a, in a second and and so you know uh, some of this came out of and sort of what you were referring to is that we had done in the u.s context we had done a few different sort of uh you know 
election-related foresight tools, including one called ThreatCast, um, which you know I think was was some of the initial discussion was whether or not we could take sort of the ThreatCast model and and sort of more more generalize it. And and the thing that you know, and and I assume Randy will speak to this in a second as well. The thing that we sort of realized very quickly was like the the exact ThreatCast tool was actually not going to 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 work specifically within within a, a a more general broader context and wasn't going to hit on all of the different points that that you needed um, for this and so in a lot of ways we we took the the learnings that we had from threatcast and and for listeners of the podcast we've done a podcast in the past on threatcast um, and we've written it up a few times if, if people uh, are unfamiliar with it but we in some ways sort of took those learnings and said like how can we create something that is a little bit more of a framework um, a little bit less, directly structured as, as a game um, to make it work in these contexts and, and to sort of create this this overall framework. So, Randy, do you want to talk a little bit about what what some of our early thinking was and our discussions on how do we, you know, how do we build something for this context? Totally. And I can get into the, the details on the, the co-design process, too, because this was definitely the most complex co-design experience, too, working with the folks at Global Pulse, as well as the specific pilot country that uh, we were working with the uh, resident coordinator team. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mike, you and I were used to like moving really fast, really scrappily. We kind of have a vision and we execute. But here we had so many collaborators that we wanted to make sure we were on the same page and aligned in our goals, both for the pilot as well as for the bigger what we want to do with this after the pilot. And so there was a very in-depth discovery process where we both want to make sure we really understood the goals and constraints well, as well as uh, making sure all the collaborators are familiar with different game design uh, approaches and mechanics so that they could really uh, sort of understand the trade-offs of different types of games and and really weigh in on, on what they think is aligned with uh, the goals. And so, I mean, I remember in the very early days, uh, we were asking like pretty substantial questions, such as like, is this something that is okay to even let the, you know, if we're doing this in a country that has a fraught relationship with elections, a fragile democracy. Um, is this the type of thing that we don't want any members of the government involved in because we're actually looking at ways to, you know, increase space for uh, civil society and free speech, and it would be, you know, we wouldn't be able to have effective conversations without the government involved? Or is this the type of thing that, no, we want to do this wide in the open, we want to use this as a, as a potential vector for building trust between the government and the UN and civil society folks? It's like, that was like one massive design fork that we talked around for a while. Um, there were, you know, and, and because of that, there were also open questions of like, we know we want to use this to explore opportunities and threats around elections, but can we make this explicitly an election game from the perspective of the participants? Or is it the type of thing that we need to approach orthogonally by constructing a really fruitful void where we're not saying election, but we're going to empower the players and participants to still grapple with all of those related issues? Um, so th you know, these were the types of things that we were dealing with as we were um, ex really exploring the possibility space, the design space, with both the, the Global Pulse team and the uh, resident coordinator team. And uh, ultimately, we, you know, we pitched a bunch of different ideas and ended up zeroing in on, on what felt like the, the best fit, where it was a game that was going to be able to talk about elections, but in a very uh, open and inclusive way, where if, if members of the government were going to be involved or, or, uh, or see, see the results, they, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't feel threatened by it necessarily. And we weren't, you know, we, we were, doing so in a way that all the participants would feel very comfortable sharing their, their thoughts and ideas. 
Uh, and then there's this other set of constraints in that we knew that we were going to be running this with participants who were not necessarily game players that wouldn't necessarily have an appetite for a lot of complex mechanics. We know we wanted it to be simple from a player experience. We also knew from a training and scaling perspective that we wanted it to be easy for facilitators to run. Um, so that not that the facilitators would have to do like a, a full day training and have to get familiar with a bunch of technology, backend application stuff to make it work. And then even zooming out further, we knew that we wanted it to be something that was really easy and flexible from a customization standpoint for any um, new country to spin up and make it relevant and appropriate for their context. And, um, and sort of in between those two is like you can run it multiple times in one country, but maybe with very different audiences. So with our pilot partner uh, in, in that country, we ran it with civil society folks as well as with youths um, when we were testing it out. And so there's a lot of like, okay, we have a lot of these different design constraints. We have some very clear goals. And... Um, so we, we iterated uh, with the team and ended up getting to a place uh, that was, I, I'm really happy with where, where it ended up. Where I think it's, it's both very simple, but very customizable and powerful and creates a, a, an easy space for people to start articulating their hopes and, and worries and, and reacting to each other. Uh, does, Mike, should I go yeah, into I was say, the let's, specific game? Yeah, let's, let's talk about how it works. So we, we've been, you know, we've been going for like 20 minutes without <laughs> getting into like the specifics of FutureCast. So, so let's, you, yeah, give, give a description of, of basically how it works for, for listeners. Yeah. So, so the, at a high level, uh, all the participants are going to be stepping forward through time in the short, medium and long term uh, to be exploring how a specific set of issues likely related to elections um, are evolving in the specific context. Uh, the way they do that is by breaking out into small teams of two to four players each. And in each round, each team starts by answering one very specific prompt or question. And then after they answer that question among themselves and writing it down on a, a template sheet, they then swap with another team to answer a follow-up question. So uh, I'll, I'll get an example um, so an example question could be, there are major disinformation efforts pushed on local social media. What is the disinformation being spread? And so a team might answer that and then pass it to a second team that then answers a follow-up question, which is, how does the public react to this disinformation? Um, and so the idea is that every, every team is answering a specific question and swapping with another team, and then there's a bit of discussion. Oh, and I should add that, um, so I said short, medium, and long-term across three rounds. The facilitators are teeing up each round by adding a little bit of context. And this is a pattern that we found uh, has been really successful in the past. So this is things to help people sort of get in the mindset of whatever time period. So um, it, it could be that this country is hosting the Olympics or that a local pop musician goes viral and becomes world famous, or there was a, a massive earthquake. And so this just helps people go, oh yeah, this isn't just today. And hey, for these different questions, I now have all of these other bits of context and setting that I might be able to pull in. So uh, you know, if there's this local pop musician who's now world famous, maybe they're involved in the disinformation in some way. Um, and so each round starts with that little bit of overview, then the teams answer their question, they swap for the follow-ups, and then there's a, a short debrief where people reflect on, share and reflect on all of the, the specific ideas, and then you jump forward in time to the next round. And we set it up so that depending on the goals of the uh, organization and the content of the of the country team in the context that you know these could be rounds that are spread out over decades or it could be really zoomed in it could be like hey we want to look at the next uh, election cycle and we want to zoom into the like uh, early primaryish stage then we want to zoom into like the week around election and then we want to zoom into the like post election what happens so really like making trying to make it flexible to go zoom way out or zoom way in. And, um, and then after three rounds of this, or it could be more if a team decides to expand it, then 
you 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 step back and then everybody can then debrief a little bit further talk about based on the exercise what are what do they really believe the biggest uh, opportunities and threats might be how might you know it, when we played it with uh, civil society folks we asked you know what changes might you make within your organization based on what you learned today so it was it was interesting to have peers then sort of sharing their observations and takeaways um, and then uh, zooming slightly out from the individual game session, which I think we said would last around 90 minutes, I think is where we landed with some flexibility. Um, there's uh, things that we put in place, uh, processes that we put in place to make it easy to translate the insights from the session itself into broader uh, pathways and processes being used by the, the country team. Um, and so whether they're doing like longer term strategic planning or creating contingency plans for uh, different crises, the, the hope was to make it really uh, smooth and well integrated to take the session to design the session to then flow into the broader uh, foresight and planning practices and quickly take and distill the specific insights from the session and feed it right into those those downstream uh, processes. Yeah, and oh, go ahead, Minky. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry, if I can maybe add, I think, and thank you, Randy, for for reminding me of all the thought that uh, went went. <laughs> With, with kind of developing this game because I almost forgot. Uh, one, I think, was also that we had a lot of discussion about that we wanted to have this game like both be relevant for participants as well as for the for the people that have to use the insights of the UNCG team or the country teams. Um, and yeah, the, the both session where we played this, uh, I think it was uh, what really helped is that we helped people guide through these different time rounds. So well, often people struggle with thinking about the future, right? Like it's far away, it's far from, uh, yeah, the current challenges that we have to deal with. So then guiding them through like different stages that uh, that I think was helpful to eventually have them talking about more of like far out futures. Um, so yeah, that, I think that was uh, that was definitely interesting to, to see and and also to both help and see that the teams were happy with, with the insights that we generated, but also the participants themselves were kind of inspired and, and not only thinking about the challenges, because that's what often happens. People just are stuck in the present, are stuck about like talking about what, what bothers them. But if you take a bit of a step outside of that challenges, it's uh, where you get, you get to talk more about opportunities and you can also, mm -hmm. for a team, it's also easier to, to kind of identify how, you can actually help the change makers that you that you see. So that's um, what I just wanted to add. Thanks for reminding of the the, the work that in, went into it. Yeah, and and you know the 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 thing that I was thinking about, and and one of the things that we dealt with in in the sort of design process was exactly Minke what, what you were referring to is like how do you you know one of the things that we like about games and we say this all the time Randy and I when we're working on on different game related projects is that the amazing thing about games is how it you know everybody you know is has their own sort of mindset that they're working on and all the things that they're facing every day and you know, it's really difficult to get beyond that. Like, these are the things I need to deal with immediately kind of mindset, but it's important. And, and the thing that we like about games is it just sets up this framework of basically like, you're not you right now. Like you're taking a perspective from, from someone else. And it just, it, it works in this really nice and powerful way of taking you out of that, that initial moment and, and all the, the issues that you're dealing with right now. And says like, let's, let's get a little perspective and 
and and let's look at this from from a slightly different perspective. And so, you know, this structure of the prompts uh, in Futurecast, I think, was a very very simple and really really powerful way of getting people to do that without too much overhead and without too much structure. And that just says like it, it, you know, it gives them something to tee off on something to focus on in terms of like, here is a a specific scenario. I I mean, you know, Randy, you talked about some, but like, you know, we, we had, uh, I'll just pull pull some other ones that we had where things that were like, you know, a a major policy change has been announced that people are excited about. What is it? Right. So you start thinking not, not just about the things that you're focused on right now, but like what would there, what would a major change policy change that would excite people? What would that look like? So get people to think about that. So it, it gives you this, you know, very light framing that allows people to get out of their, their initial worries. And, you know, a lot of the goal of this was to like, you know, how can we get out and and sort of reveal some of the opportunities that wouldn't otherwise come out? Uh, and, you know, and I think, you know, as you said, when, when the, when the, um, game was tested, you know, people got excited about it. You know, it it was fun. It was different. It's, you know, it is not the usual sort of thing where you sort of get together. And if you just tell people like, talk about your, the opportunities and challenges, you're not going to get this sort of perspective and you're not going to get this, this kind of thing. Um, whereas, you know, giving them the prompts also the, the fact that, um, you know, you have the groups who talk about it and then uh, transfer. So, you know, one group works on the initial prompt and then there's a follow up that you, you hand the prompt that you uh, that you worked on to a different group gives some like first cross fertilization of ideas from from the different people, but also, you know, continues to progress people beyond just like the initial prompt to, to something further as well. Um, and so we, we found that to be a really, really sort of useful way of getting people, you know, out, out of their immediate uh, mindset and into something that was that was more powerful and and fun and, and useful for the, the different facilitators and, and country teams. Yeah, and the country teams, I think that there would be in the values really to do this also with different different types of stakeholders. You can also understand where the different stakeholders are coming from and what their aspirations are for the future. And and you're also then a bit better able to contrast and compare results, yeah. I guess, uh, as well. And then, yeah, I think there's that's where you can really provide like value for the team because then you get a bit back, like the bigger context in a way or where they have to operate in and what kind of, what are the kind of issues that play and what are the aspirations of those of the decisions mm-hmm. people then, yeah, so that, that's... Uh, hopefully something that we uh, c- can continue to do so. Can I add one more thing? Yes. What I, <laughs> kind of building on Mike, what you just mentioned, what I, I really loved about the game because we, we've been working on um, on different scenarios, kind of alternative ways of how, how the, let's say, the crisis might unfold or something like that. Um, and it takes a lot of work to develop a scenario and then you have to analyze the implications for different groups. And this is quite difficult. Like people are really struggling um, to participate in this type of work. But what I loved about the game is this dynamic, as you mentioned, like you hand the prompt to other team and they are reacting to what somebody else is doing. And, and then you get lots of insights on like, what are the stakeholder dynamics like, like and how they could you know, evolve um, 
uh, around the you know whatever you you're looking whatever is the topic at hand so i really like that so you have that kind of human dynamic built in um and uh, this can actually give you really good local insights and kind of granular insights that are immediately actionable like you understand um you know who are the stakeholders who might be contributing to creating a, a risk or conflict and, and then you can mitigate or then you can understand who are the you know transformers and how to support them mm -hmm. to to you know tap into these pathways for positive change so i think this was quite exciting and this is not something that you get with uh with the static scenarios yeah we also no, you really to... felt the energy yeah oh, go ahead yeah no i was just saying i was the, you you really feel the energy in in the room and i think we all excited <laughs> when we talk about it that's why we all jumped on it but that's especially with this i think uh, the civil society groups they took a bit of more time i think to to get in and ease into the game whereas when we played it with you they were immediately jumped on it and i think they were more used like used to this kind of playful way of talking about the future. And uh, we all sensed, I guess, the, the energy that they created it and the dynamics. Uh, yeah. Totally. And we'd also talked about how the uh, this game can also be very complementary to more traditional scenario planning approaches, where if you wanted to spend some time diving into each of the scenarios that you ended up creating and doing so in a way that was accessible to folks who were not involved in the original scenario planning process, you could very easily tweak the game so that the uh, details at the beginning of each round align with whichever scenario you want to be exploring. And the questions are best aligned, the, you know, the, the individual group questions and follow-ups are best aligned with the scenarios too. And so I'm really excited with where the flexibility of the game landed so that it's like, oh, if you want to use this before you form the scenarios to understand broad like trends and opportunities and threats, you could do that. Or if you want to do it after the scenarios to better uh, flesh out what might lead to the scenario or how might you, you know, best direct things if this scenario becomes true, you could do that too. Yeah. And, and, you know, sort of a, a related thing that, that I was excited about and that, that I liked was like, to some extent, this is, you know, uh, this is a way of, of figuring out kind of the, the sort of deeper hopes, dreams and, and fears of people that, you know, if you were to just ask them directly, kind of like, what, what are you most worried about? Or what are you most excited about? Or what do you think the opportunities are? I think the, and people's initial reactions, especially in some, in some in certain contexts where people are a little bit more reserved, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more difficult to get at what is what is really out there. Whereas this framework, and again, that the nature of sort of taking them out of, you know, you're not speaking as yourself here, you're talking as the, you know, whoever you're kind of representing in, within this framework, um, allows for people to actually go that deeper level and, and maybe even to like a subconscious level of like things that they weren't thinking about beforehand without the prompts and, and allows them to have that discussion. And that's part of also what makes it fun where, you know, and, and, and takes away, you know, I think some of the, you know, if you just bring together people into a room and you kind of say, what are your, what are your hopes and fears? That's, that's like a really kind of sensitive discussion for a lot of people and in all sorts of different contexts. And, you know, I think a lot of people are not very comfortable doing that. Whereas this framework, it, you know, it takes it off of you, the individual, you know, you're no longer talking about like your specific hope and fear, but you can put it in this more generalized context. And that's also part of what I think generates kind of the fun and excitement and the sort of energy that, that comes out of, uh, participating in this. Um, so that's, you know, that was definitely part of my, my takeaway from, from, from all of it. 
Um, so I, I guess, I guess the next question, uh, you know, for, for Minke and for Tina is kind of like, you know, how, how do you see this being used going forward? I mean, we were really excited in, in putting it together. I think it was really fun to, to build it and to test it and to see the reactions from, from testing it. Uh, what's next? Where, where does this go from here? Yeah, hopefully people will start using it. And that's why we also made this, uh, this indeed this website, with, which takes people through all this, this like easy steps uh, to, to customize their own game. So it should be fairly, fairly accessible. Uh, and we, obviously we did it now in a kind of a, this pilot country where we tested it and we all uh, iterated the game, uh, but we, hopefully we can do this also with, with other field uh, pilots to maybe in this context of the UN transformation agenda, uh, and especially, I think it's a great tool to do that kind of community engagement, to uh, to do community dialogues, uh, and this is then a great tool. Um, one other possibility that we were also thinking of, and also inspired by this, I think this youth session that we did in uh, in this pilot country, was that climate uh, change and climate risk and climate resilience came up as a topic uh, that was. They they felt it so much more urgent and immediate than uh, than the other groups that we were playing it with. So you you can really see I think that different generations hold different uh, concerns and different uh, uh, kind of agendas maybe as well. So using this maybe also as a tool to bridge that or to do that kind of intergenerational um, uh, dialogue uh, as well. That, that that could be another kind of use case that we were thinking of, uh, especially specifically doing that in the climate resilience uh, context. So, um, yeah, but that, that demands another kind of customization, <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm sure that with our own guide, we should, should be very easy to do that. The, the tool is flexible. It was designed to be super flexible. Exactly. So, you know, uh, you know, just follow the yeah, steps. Yeah, <laughs> anyone can take it, and anyone can can uh, you know make it make it useful in all different kinds of contexts. So. And to that end, I mean, in the in the we have two main guides with a bunch of supplementary tech templates on the website. But one of them in the preparation guide gives this big library of context questions for the groups to answer in each round, and it's broken out by a theme. So there actually is a, an environment climate section. So. Uh, and, you know, we designed it so that, you know, every country is going to have its own priorities um, to, to examine. Every team is going to have its own priorities. But yeah, it, you know, it, there's there's sample climate questions in there. And also we have guidance of, oh, if you want to go beyond the, the sample questions we have to go more specific or to focus on something that we don't focus on it, you know, there, there's a guide for how to do that too. Yeah. And, and for, for, for people who are listening to this, we'll, we'll have a link to, to, to the, the future cast page that, that the UN has has put up so you can, you can check it out. And again, it's, it is, it is under a creative commons license. I'm hopeful as with anything with creative commons that people take it and and build on it. And, And the idea is like, you know, do, do more with it. We, we designed it to be flexible in the hopes that people will you know, not just the UN, but other people can take it and, and use it and, and do do more with it. Yeah, let us know about it. We want to hear if you're remixing it and uh, and how you're using it and what insights you're getting from it. Cool. Um, so I, I guess, is, is, the, is there anything else? Is, is there any anything else we want to talk about uh, regarding FutureCast? Any, any final thoughts? Any, uh, any larger 
Yeah, maybe maybe if I can. Uh, this is not the only game that we developed, yeah. uh, just as you have a lot of experience of uh, developing other games. And another one that we did is build on, uh, it's called the Scenario Exploration System. It's a board game. It's uh, developed by the uh, European Joint uh, Research Center. So it's, it's, again, our way of kind of building upon already tested and well-tested kind of um, methodologies and approaches. And we adapted that to the context of the future of data governance. Uh, also a really fun, fun way of uh, engaging in this narrative. It's a bit of a... It's a longer workshop. It's about two hours. You have to take at least to, to really go through it, but it's also kind of building upon that idea, guiding people through different time horizons, setting them in a different uh, stakeholder role. Uh, so it's um, definitely another one that is worth maybe exploring. Maybe I can add, since we are advertising here, <laughs> we also made a version of um, The Thing from the Future. Uh, I don't know, maybe many of you have heard about this quite fun game uh, originally by the Situation Lab. So we developed this um, version with our colleagues at UNESCO. So uh, hi, hi to, to uh, colleagues there, um, uh, specifically on uh, focusing on intergenerational equity and how to build the different capabilities and awareness on this intergenerational equity. And I just wanted to mention that because Minke also, also highlighted this. So yeah. it's one of the key agendas. <laughs> so check that out as well. Yeah, th these are all great, and we're we're obviously you know huge fans of any any attempt to use games to explore important topics like this, and and the thing from the future is obviously a, a fantastic example of that. So I, I wasn't aware that you guys had had uh, made an adaptation of that, and that's fantastic because that's that's a really great tool as well. Uh, Randy, any last thoughts? Yeah, this is this is a really fun engagement for us, both to see how the, the UN thinks about things and prioritizes things. I know we learned a, a ton throughout the process of um, just the, the mindset and the priorities and the trade-offs. Um, and uh, it, was, it was just such a, a wonderful, fruitful collaboration on our end. Uh, just really a treat. So thank you for bringing us in. It was it was a blast. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much. Likewise. It's been a joy. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, it was great, great to to have this chance to 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 recap everything. I know we we worked together for for a while, but it's been a little while since we've all had a chance to talk. So it's nice to see both of you again. Uh, and this was a really fun pro project uh, and a really fun discussion. So thank you for bringing us in to do the project for for having a wonderful collaboration and and working relationship over over the course of it, and then for taking the time to come on the podcast and have this discussion to talk about it so thank you to, to to both of you this was this was really wonderful uh and i will thank everyone for listening as well uh i hope everyone enjoyed it and got something out of it go check out the website which again will be in the show notes uh and check out all of the future cast stuff and the other various projects that the that the, the UN has worked on <laughs> the the link will take you there as well all of the they've they've put up a page that has a whole bunch of the different foresight projects uh, that they are working on and it's a fun fun page to explore and with that I will end the podcast thanks again to everyone for listening and we'll be back next week Someone will get hurt to grab a shovel and dig up the tent.